Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you the story. Hey friends, I'm Michael Kingswood. It is story time. On a Saturday, I was uh, just looking down at the doggo who came in and lied down here. Because it's always fun. Anyway, it's Saturday. It's story Saturday. And <laughs> it's been a year so far, let me tell you. Uh, at the end of January, I told some people, man, that January was a month of Mondays. First week of February was like, ah, it's much better. But the last two weeks have been like... So consequently, <laughs> story time hasn't happened on Saturday. A bunch of other things haven't happened because I've been taking care of life role business and other things. I think all the chicanery is done now, though, and we can get back to the schedule that I prefer to have. You know, knock on wood, that'll be so. Uh, but it is what it is. We are pushing forward, which means that this week today we are once again reading a story yay and we are reading this third story from last year's 52 stories in 2023 challenge this one being a fantasy story a modern fantasy story called odin's peppermint it is a dustin cofield adventure if you guys know me and my stuff that's the doggy you might hear her <laughs> she's Making a nest back in my scuba gear. <sighs> anyway. Dustin Cofield is a secret agent who works for an agency that doesn't exist. Uh, that is assisting Santa Claus with making sure that Christmas peeps on going and all his stuff goes well because the elves have revolted and are dead set against screwing it all up. As an elf exterminator, it's his job to make sure it doesn't get screwed up. And we have another adventure from him. So, you'll like it, because I liked it, and I wrote it, and I liked it, so therefore you will too. Does that make sense? I think so. Let's read it, and we'll talk to you on the other end. The elfin menace against the integrity and joy of Christmas goes on, behind the scenes and under the noses of the normies of the world. I have been working hard to head off that menace, to keep Christmas alive and joyful for over a decade now. I work out of an office in a Wells Fargo branch, pretending to be a financial analyst, but I don't work for the bank. I work for an agency that no one has ever heard of because it doesn't exist. But still, every now and then, the normie world and my world collide, and when that happens, you never know what the result will be. I'm Dustin Cofield, and I'm an elf exterminator. When Crystal called me on the old rotary phone in my office, I was just finishing up my monthly report to higher headquarters. And frankly, I was thankful for the break. My fingers and wrists were starting to ache from the strain. Typing on an old 30s-era manual typewriter is not exactly easy, and even now, after more than a decade working for the agency and living with the lack of electronics that the big man required, I still wasn't completely used to it. Or rather, I still hadn't learned not to dislike it. So it was with near relief that I turned away from the page, complete with carbon paper forms in triplicate, to pick up the call. How's it going, Cofield? Crystal said as soon as I had the receiver to my ear. 
I recognized her voice immediately, even though it had been a few months since we last worked together. Crystal, good to hear from you. She cut right to the chase. I'm in town on an op and could use some help. Are you free? I looked at the report and did some typing math in my head. It would take a couple hours to finish, proofread it, and get it packaged for the dispatches. But after that, I didn't have anything major on my plate until the middle of next week. It had been a quiet month in Lockwood, the pleasantly nice but cookie-cutter suburban city I had been stationed in for these last few years. Not even a hint of illicit elfin activity, and as autumn rolled on towards Thanksgiving, I had begun to think, hope really, that I might get a free holiday season just to enjoy for the first time in... I struggled to think of the last time that had happened, to be honest, and got a little depressed for a second. But only for a second. Sure, I had missed more Christmases than I'd like since joining up, but I'd helped guarantee Christmas bliss for more people than I could count, so it was worth it. I can meet you in the morning. That's soon enough? Perfect. You know the breakfast joint over on Elm Street? McGillicuddy's, it was called. I knew it well. Nora, my girlfriend, and I made a good point of going to their Sunday brunches once a month or so. They made great pastries and did bottomless mimosas. Hard to beat. I nodded, though Crystal couldn't see it. Nine o'clock? She agreed and hung up. McGillicuddy's didn't look like much from the outside. It sat in the corner of an L-shaped strip mall, a quarter of a mile from the beltway that traversed the metropolitan areas Lockwood inhabited. Like most strip malls everywhere, it was a single-story, bland beige-brown with eaves overhanging the shop fronts and a modest-sized parking lot that was never more or less than half-filled with cars. But every time I crossed the threshold into McGillicuddy's, I was always struck by its simple class, its charm. It was set up like a modernized diner, almost, with a long bar taking up most of the right-hand side wall and reddish-brown leather upholstered booths for six along the wall opposite the bar. The space between was filled with tables for four, also with leather upholstered chairs of the same color. The bar stools were the same. The bar itself was topped by black granite, flaked with bits of gold and brown, and the area behind the bar was all stainless steel appliances and black shelves, holding more plates and cups than bottles of liquor, though it was not lacking in those either. And the section of the bar facing the entrance, caddy corner to the sitting area, was dominated by a glass display case that was filled with donuts, pies, danishes, coffee cakes, everything a sweet tooth could want first thing in the morning. The place always smelled of freshly baked bread and sweets over top coffee, and smooth jazz played softly from speakers hidden in the corners of the room. It was instant, welcoming relaxation every time. When I arrived that morning, I did a quick scan of the room, ignoring the perky young brunette in a blue polo shirt with McGillicuddy's embroidered in white on the left breast, who was holding court at the hostess's station, a darkly stained wooden lectern just in front of the door. The place was about a third full. The usual late breakfast crowd moms who had just dropped kids off at school and were now gathering over coffee to gossip or do whatever groups of moms did. Business types in suits who were wolfing down danishes over coffee while reading the paper. And artsy folks typing away on laptops while their frothy something chino drinks cooled next to them. And Crystal, alone in the rearmost booth. She had her blonde hair pulled back from her head in a ponytail, and she was dressed in a navy blue business skirt and collared white shirt a fair match to the charcoal gray banker's suit with blue and white tie that I had on. She had the lean body of a dancer because she was. She used to be in a semi-professional ballet troupe, but the incident of 2013 hit her hard and she joined the agency soon after, looking for some payback. From what I knew of her exploits, and from the cases we had worked together, she had gotten it in spades. 
The hostess greeted me and I smiled back at her and gestured toward Crystal, saying, My party's here. She nodded and I meandered back to Crystal's booth. Crystal saw me coming, of course, and the corners of her mouth twitched upward. Her eyes flicked up and down, taking in my suit, and I thought I saw a bit of amusement there for a second. Been a while, she said as I slid into the booth opposite her. How's Nora? I smiled. Busy. The work she did for the new Ford plant gave her a lot of exposure, and she's had to beat clients away with a stick for the last few months. I heard about your little adventure there, Crystal shook her head. Bold of the pointies trying that. My smile faded. The elves had tried to set up their own little hidden production facility inside the Ford plant. To supplant the big guys up at the pole, no doubt. And they would have succeeded if Nora's project management skills hadn't led her to discover a discrepancy that I followed up on. A midnight raid put the kibosh on the pointy's plans, but I cringed to think of what mischief they could have gotten into if we hadn't stopped their plant within a plant from coming online. After a second, I shrugged. All in a day's work. What do you have going on? An interesting little mystery, she began, but paused when a young black-haired man in the same kind of polo shirt the hostess was wearing approached our table. He was carrying a brown plastic tray on which sat two plates with cinnamon buns and a teapot with two mugs. Here we go, the waiter said, and proceeded to set a plate before each of us. Then he took a moment to pour a mug of black tea for us both and set the teapot down between us. Then he departed, leaving me to raise an eyebrow at Crystal. She grinned slyly at me. I hear the cinnamon buns here are to die for. I nodded slowly. She was correct, of course. I'd never had better than the buns McGillicuddy's made still. Maybe I want some bacon and eggs. Crystal rolled her eyes. Then order it. Seriously, Cofield. Her tone said I was being silly, and as she raised her bun to her mouth to take a bite, I decided her tone was right. The bun went down real well. It was still warm from the oven, and the icing had an almost peppermint undertone to it. Nora had several times asked me, jokingly, if the owners may be also secretly moonlighted for the big guy on account of that. I should be so lucky. I'd been up to the pole a few years ago for an awards gala, and to call the cuisine up there disappointing... The pointies have been branching out financially, Crystal said, interrupting my train of thought. I stopped mid-chew and raised an eyebrow at her. Since they left the pole in protest over working conditions, they'd been making their way in the world mostly the way anyone else would have. Starting businesses, getting jobs, what have you. It wasn't like there was some grand elfin infrastructure or anything. But their ventures tended to ride the fuzzy line between legitimate and criminal, and they usually had each other's backs, and they all wanted payback against the big guy. So it wasn't unusual to find that the elves had wormed their way into a new business of some sort or other, and I really didn't begrudge them that, nor did the agency, except when it impacted the big guy's operation, or had the potential to. I swallowed the bit of bun I had been chewing on and washed it down with a sip of tea. How so? I've been working on a sort of retail arbitrage operation a group of them have going out west. Teddy bears, matchbox cars. She made a vague wave of her hand. It'd take too long to get into. Point is, lots of cash changing hands, but also electronic transactions. Mostly what you expect from the sorts of things they were trading in. But there are a few transfers that don't make any sense. How do you mean? Crystal shrugged. Mostly in where the money is going to. Bank accounts that don't appear to intersect with the pointies at all. Not tied to any business they have had a hand in, just to normies or legit businesses. Well, not everything the pointies do is dirty, I pointed out. Could just be legit purchases. Could be. She leaned in a bit. Or maybe not. I need some help running the accounts down, figuring out what's going on. Why me? You've got a degree in finance, don't you? 
That's why you have that cover. Yeah, but it's been ages since I did anything with it. Just because my office isn't a bank doesn't mean I stopped the hairs on the back of my head standing up like I felt a realization dawning and just looked the next question at her. Crystal nodded, her expression grimly serious. Nailed it in one. The accounts are all at Wells Fargo. I blew out a breath and considered, then shook my head. I just have an office there as cover. I don't have access to their system to go digging in the records, if that's what you're thinking. Ask the branch manager to look at subparagraph 6, section F of the contract they signed with the agency. I blinked. I knew the bank was making a pretty decent penny from the rent on my office space, and for the branch manager to maintain the facade that it actually was a senior financial analyst for the bank, but I'd never seen the contract that set the whole thing in place. My confusion must have shown on my face because Crystal grinned broadly. It allows you executive-level access. I blinked again. It did? Same thing at my cover location. I didn't know about it either until a year ago. Turns out it's a standard clause in the agency's contracts. She reached down to her right, where she must have left a briefcase on the booth seat next to her. A moment later, she came back with a manila envelope, which she slid across the table to me. The accounts and the transfers in question. I fingered the envelope for a second, then shrugged. Okay, I'll have a look into it. Whatever you can find out, she said. Thanks in advance. It looked like my anticipated lazy end of the week was about to turn interesting. Tom Jenkins was the branch manager at the Wells Fargo where I had my office. We had known each other for several years now and got along pretty well for the most part. It helped that we only saw each other once or twice a week for staff meetings that I had to attend to keep up appearances and that I never owed him any actual work product and that the agency's payments made his branch a perennial standout in quarterly profits. But today, the normally jovial grin was gone from his round face. His gray eyes flashed with annoyance beneath the gleam of the overhead lights reflecting off the dome of his bald head. We were in his office in the rear corner of the bank. It was all faux hardwood and modern-looking brushed nickel, sterile and efficient even to his metal-legged glass-topped desk, which was devoid of the clutter you would expect on a working surface. Just a flat-screen monitor to the left, a keyboard on a calendar blotter in the center, and a single-framed picture of his wife, a raven-haired woman about ten years younger than Tom's forty-five, off to the right. Like me, he wore a banker's suit, but his was navy blue and pinstriped, his tie a deep red. Tom scowled at me for a second, then looked back at his monitor screen and reread the contract with the agency. It was his third time reading that paragraph. Each time, he just got madder. Finally, scowling even deeper, he leaned back in his chair and stared a dagger at me. It seems like you have me over a barrel. I wouldn't call it that, Tom. Well, how would you call it, then? I spread my hands and smiled magnanimously to him. The paragraph is just a guarantee of mutual cooperation, nothing more. He snorted, rolling his eyes to the ceiling. Semantics. Then after a couple seconds, he blew out a breath and looked back at me, his face smoothed back to professional calm. It was great how he could do that so quickly. What do you need, Mr. Cofield? I placed the manila folders Crystal had given me down on his desk next to his keyboard. It's all in there. I need a deep dive on these accounts and transactions. See if anything stands out. Waves a red flag. Tom's eyebrow twitched, and he looked at the envelope like it might be dangerous. And he had to think that it just might be. After all, the agency couldn't go around calling itself the outfit that makes sure the big guy's pole operation goes well so Christmas goes off without a hitch each year. 
No, he had a cover here in the States as a branch of DHS, and he had to be wondering what I was getting his branch involved in. After a minute, he nodded. I'll put Alice on it. When do you need an answer? It was Thursday morning. Tomorrow, Monday, and Tuesday were the only working days before my schedule got tight again. Tomorrow afternoon, close of business. Tom looked like he was going to object, but he just nodded again. Consider it done. It was Monday morning. Alice had been able to glean a veritable treasure trove of information, and I'd spent the weekend using the agency's considerable resources to do a deeper analysis on what she had given me. Now, Crystal and I sat in my souped-up black GMC Yukon across the street from a long, low building that was painted yellow and had a red-brown tile roof. A simple, chain-link fence surrounded the building's property, and I could see a swing set and a jungle gym off to the right, around the building's corner. A small parking lot was off to the left, with room maybe for a dozen cars. A wood sign, red letters on a yellow background, hung over the building's front door. Kinder kids, preschool, and daycare. Crystal was sipping on a Starbucks cup on the passenger seat. We'd met there, and I'd driven us both here after she had a chance to caffeine up. Today she had on black trousers and a button-collared red blouse that hung loosely around her torso. She had the top two buttons undone, and her hair was down, flowing to her shoulders in lush curls. "'What are we doing here, Cofield?' she asked. "'Waiting for our man.' She looked sidelong at me, and her lips compressed slightly into a half-scowl that was offset by the amused twinkle in her eyes. "'And our man is... the owner of this fine establishment.' I gestured toward the daycare facility. "'Most of the transactions you gave me were blanks, but a few dozen of them went to accounts that were owned by this business, either directly or through intermediaries that I was able to run down.' Something is going on in there. Crystal blinked. Okay, so who is he? A guy named Olaf Gunterman. She peered around, looking both ways down the four-lane street that ran in front of the daycare. What's he look like? He stands out. You'll see when he gets here. Crystal glowered again, and I grinned back at her. Don't want to spoil the surprise. Instead of replying, she took another drink from her cup. A much longer drink. About ten minutes passed, and I could tell Crystal was beginning to get impatient, but then a dark blue BMW pulled up in front of the daycare and turned into the parking lot. I recognized the car from the DMV records I'd been able to pull, and gave Crystal a little nudge. There he is. We each had binoculars, and she raised hers to get a better look at Gunterman. A second later, she gave a little gasp and said, Oh my, in a low, almost sultry tone. Gunterman was six foot three blonde, with wavy hair that flowed past his linebacker-sized shoulders like Fabio reimagined. He had on khaki cargo pants and a green-colored shirt beneath a black leather jacket, and he was jacked. The kind of jacked that only comes from working out three or four hours a day, five or six days a week for twenty years. That kind of jacked. Yeah, we're definitely going to need to look into him more closely, Crystal said. I couldn't help it. I burst out laughing. Over the next hour, a steady stream of parents in sedans and minivans came to the daycare and dropped off their kids, and the swings and juggle gym began to fill up with the kids doing kid things and having a good time. I wasn't exactly a daycare aficionado, no kids for me that I knew of anyway, but it looked as normal a scene as I could have imagined, except for those financial records and the other facts I'd gleaned from them over the weekend. I don't know, Cofield, Crystal said, lowering her binoculars and looking back at me with a doubtful expression on her face. You sure about this? I nodded. There's something going on over there, no doubt about it. She chewed on her lip for a second and gave a firm nod. Okay, 
She opened the passenger door of the Yukon. Come on. What are we... I'm expecting, and you, hubby, are coming with me to look at daycare options for our soon-to-be-arrived bundle of joy. She grinned and patted her flat-as-a-board belly. Well, she could pass for just a couple months along, I suppose. And I didn't have a better idea, so I hopped out as well, and we crossed the street through a gap in the traffic. The front door opened into a reception area that reminded me immediately of a doctor's office. There were half a dozen plastic blue chairs on the wall to my right, and an end table in the corner on which was stacked a like number of magazines. A sliding clear plastic window directly across from the entrance looked in on a reception desk, and a door leading further back into the innards of the building was off to the left. The reception desk was manned by a redhead with pixie-cut hair who looked to be in her early thirties. She had on a green, long-sleeved collared shirt with kinder kids embroidered on the breast, and she was typing away at a computer keyboard when Crystal and I walked in. Crystal went straight to the window and slid it open, and the receptionist gave a little start of surprise that turned into a broad, welcoming grin that made her look five years younger. "'Good morning. Welcome to Kinder Kids,' she said in a lilting accent." that made me think she was actually Irish, to go with her hair. Crystal began giving our cover story. It took only a moment for the receptionist to get the gist of it. It was probably a regular occurrence here, and she called back on an intercom to someone further back in the building. A moment or so later, the door to the left opened, and another woman, this one approaching forty, with curly black hair and eyes that were nearly the same shade, stepped through. She had on a similar shirt to the receptionist's and blue jeans and a welcoming smile. I'm Sheila, she said, held out her hand in greeting. I understand you want some more information about our facilities? Crystal shook and gave her real first name. I did the same. A moment later, we were following Sheila down a white-painted hallway. We have been in business for eight years, Sheila was saying, and have served over 2,000 families. We utilize the latest. I let Crystal keep up the conversation, play the eager, expecting mother. I put Sheila's discourse out of my mind and focused on the facilities which were nothing if not ordinary. Well-kept, neat and tidy, painted in cheerful tones with pictures of kids playing and beautiful scenery up on the walls. Classrooms and playrooms with bookshelves and all the toys I could have ever wanted when I was a munchkin. A segregated office area through a door that I only got a glimpse through as one of the staffers was passing. And everywhere, kids. Lots and lots of kids, all looking like they were having a good time, for a wonder. Kids' voices, talking and giggling and laughing, and occasionally crying, filled the spaces of the building as we walked through, and I began to wonder if Crystal wasn't correct and we were barking up the wrong tree. But the transaction analysis was clear. There were just enough questionable things here, just enough middlemen and obvious reporting loopholes used to make me certain things were not completely legit here. But then maybe it was just regular run-of-the-mill criminality, not pointy-related. Gunterman may not have known who or what those transfers came from, after all. I was just about to call this a waste of time when Sheila brought us to a door with a narrow glass window in it. She gestured toward the window and said, This is our arts and crafts room, with obvious pride. Peering through the narrow window, I could see why. The place was large, well-lit, and well-equipped with easels and craft tables, every color of paint and every little construction tool imaginable. Building blocks and you name it, all stored neatly in white plastic shelves in the wall to the left. The room was also filled with kids under the supervision of a trio of adults. Nothing at all unusual there, except for the long table at the rear of the room and the trio of plastic jugs behind it. The jugs looked to be at least five or ten gallons each and translucent, filled with a greenish fluid. 
A couple of kids were working at the table in front of the jugs, older than most of the others in the room, and they moved with more coordination than the others. The hackles of my neck went up again as I watched those kids in the rear of the room, and I saw one of them, a black-haired girl in a yellow and red striped shirt, brush her hair back from her face, and I saw the pointed tip of an ear exposed for a heartbeat. I glanced aside at Crystal and saw her eyes widen. She had seen it too. Our eyes met and she gave a little nod. We were definitely in the right spot after all. I want to look at those jugs in the back of the room, I said as I drove away. Crystal nodded. Come back tonight? Yep, I said, and inwardly I sighed. That meant the combat suit. I hated the combat suit. When I first saw the combat suit that the agency issues to its personnel, I thought it was a joke on the new guy. Alas, it wasn't. The suit is made from the same material that the big guy's wife uses to make his clothing, and something about the centuries that the big guy and the elves spent together created a resonance or a recognition or something embedded into that material, so it repels a lot of the elves' tricks. So it looks ridiculous. Made from red fuzzy material with a broad fuzzy white belt with equipment pouches and a sidearm holster, and with a pull-up red and white hood and a half face mask, and fuzzy white gloves. It looks like a demented mix of Santa suit and burglar attire, but it's effective and protective. It had saved my butt several times over the years, so though I felt like an absolute idiot every time I had to put the thing on, and it can get really hot in the summer, I still use it. Just wish we could try a different color scheme at least. But that suggestion had been shot down faster than a nerd in a cheerleader's locker room. Powers that be in HQ didn't want to take any chances at breaking the magic or whatever it was that made the material work. So we used the big guy's colors, and that's it. Oh well. Crystal and I met up a bit before midnight a couple blocks from Kinder Kids in the rear parking lot of a mattress store. It was dark, and the wooded area at the rear of the lot ran all the way down to the cross street that held the daycare spot so we could creep up without getting anywhere near any of the streetlights. I had looked at the aerial shots of the daycare's lot on Google Maps, so it was pretty easy to navigate from the lot. Maybe 20 minutes after we met up, we stopped at the fence at the rear of the daycare and took stock. The fence was chain-link back here and 7 feet tall, easy enough to scale, but... Crystal had low-light goggles pressed to her eyes and was scanning the building. Anything? I asked. She shook her head. No cameras that I can see. I frowned. That was surprising. I would think they would want to have eyes on the kids all the time for liability, if nothing else. She shrugged. The playground's off to the side. Maybe the cameras are there. Which was a valid point. The rear of the building, where we were, was just grass and a couple storage sheds, and a paved walk going from the sheds to the rear of the building, and then to the right-hand side of the building and probably up to the parking lot. Another section of fence separated the play area to the left from this rear space, so maybe the kids never came back here. And surely management wouldn't want records of whatever the pointies were doing. So the no cameras here where they could come and go in plain sight, almost? I nodded. Okay, up and over. Chain link fences aren't hard to scale, but they are annoying. It took longer than it should have for me to get over, and Crystal stood waiting, arms crossed over her chest, with an amused half-smirk on her lips when I finally managed it. I returned her smirk with a shrug, easy for her to criticize, all 110 pounds of ballerina muscle that she was. The thought must have carried through in volumes with my shrug, because she chuckled softly, then led the way to the back door. 
The agency teaches its operatives how to deal with locks, and the one lock on the back door wasn't particularly difficult. A few minutes later, we were inside. We each took a moment to don low-light goggles, then we made our way to the arts and crafts room. The door was locked, naturally, and this lock was more difficult, but I managed to get it open after what felt like forever. The jugs at the back of the room were less full than they had been when we toured the facilities. In fact, only one of them had any fluid in it at all. The rightmost one. I glanced at Crystal and frowned. Either they use a lot of paint, or she left the rest unsaid. I snorted. These jugs weren't paint. The paint was stored elsewhere in the room. We'd seen that earlier. I moved to the rightmost jug and saw that it had a screwed-on lid at the top. It came off easily, and I had to move back from the intense smell of peppermint that immediately wafted from the thing. Good lord, I said, scrunching up my nose against the onslaught. That is strong, Crystal said. She was about ten feet away and hadn't taken as much of a hit as I had, but I could hear the near affront in her voice from the smell of it. Yeah, what is... My low-light goggles whited out completely, and I heard an accented voice from behind us. Put your hands up. I froze and immediately realized what had happened. Someone had turned on the lights. We were caught in the act of burglary. It wouldn't be a huge problem. The agency would grease the skids with local cops to get us released and no harm done. But that would be annoying and waste time. And we'd never hear the end of it from the other operatives. But right then, there didn't seem to be a lot I could do about it. So I did what the voice said and raised my hands, taking a second to doff the low-light goggles as I did so. Turn around, the voice said. I complied and was unsurprised to see Olaf Gunterman standing in the arts and crafts room just inside the door. I was surprised by the AR he had shouldered and pointed at us. The combat suit looked ridiculous, but it was good protection against elfin weapons and tricks. No good at all against a 5.56mm round, though. Gunterman looked at us for a few seconds, then shook his head and chuckled softly. You know, the little guys told me about you people. I thought they were kidding. I blinked. That was unexpected. What do you do, Gunterman? Sleep here? Gunterman shook his head. Silent alarm on my phone, he grinned. Technology is pretty cool. Might want to try it. He paused. Then he put on a mocking expression. Oh, wait. You can't on account of the big guy, he shrugged. Tough luck for you. That came like a slap in the face. I looked aside at Crystal and saw she was as stunned as I was by his knowledge. So you clearly know who... What? You're working with in this, I said, slowly and levelly, trying to keep the surprise out of my voice, and I think mostly succeeding. Gunterman grinned. Santa's former little helpers? Oh yeah, we know each other well. He wagged his rifle at us. Come this way. Slowly. I did as he said, happy to close the distance. If he let us get close enough, maybe we could do something to get past that rifle. I wasn't sure what, but I knew I couldn't do a damn thing from the other side of the room, so I walked slowly. Crystal moved in time with me, but if you know, Crystal sounded genuinely curious. Then why? Why help them? Gunterman's grin faded. I've prayed to Odin for years for a way to get back on the people who destroyed my nation. That went right over my head. Come again? Gunterman looked at me like I was daft. Couldn't blame him. Right then I felt like I was. Before the Christians came, my people were a scourge of the north, feared by all. We sailed everywhere, conquered everywhere, plundered everywhere, favored by the gods. He scowled, an angry light in his eyes. Now what are we? Weak. 
willingly cuckolded in every way, a mockery of what we once were. He drew a rasping breath. If Christmas is so important to the Christians, I say ruin it, as they ruined my people. It took me a few seconds to really process that. I'd met people who don't like Christmas, but not that many. Most people I'd met enjoyed it, whether they were Christians or not. Heck, my Orthodox Jewish friend used to come caroling with me back in the day just because he liked the music, the ambiance, and the companionship of it. But even the people I've met who don't like Christmas were never this actively hostile. This guy was something else. We had crossed half the distance between the jugs and him, and he waved the rifle again. That's far enough. I stopped, and Crystal did as well. So what happens now? Gunterman looked us over for a second. That is the question. I could call the cops, and you can go down for burglary. His paralleling of my earlier thoughts felt eerie. But I expect you'll get out of that easily enough. Yeah, really eerie. Gunterman went on. My little friends might have some fun with you. Maybe I'll give you to them. That was actually a more scary concept than the cops. The cops were constrained by rules and laws. The pointies were not, except as expedience required. It didn't happen often, but there had been a few operatives over the years who had been taken captive by the elves. It had not turned out well for those guys. Years of recovery and therapy later, and they still had uncontrollable sugar rushes from out of nowhere. Irresistible urges to drink cocoa nonstop or snort sugar. I shuddered inwardly to think of it. But then again, Gunterman said, this is a war. Why take prisoners in a war? He shifted his stance ever so slightly, leaning into his weapon a bit more than he had been, like he was getting ready to shoot. So you're just going to shoot us in cold blood? He made a quick shake of his head in response to Crystal's query. You pulled guns on me. Cute suggestion, but the tinsel guns we carried in our holsters weren't exactly deadly weapons. But then again, after we were dead, he could just plant real guns on us, couldn't he? The state Lockwood inhabited was pretty liberal in its self-defense and weapons laws. Might not even be much of an inquiry about it if he staged it right. You're overlooking one thing, Crystal said. Oh? Gunterman didn't do the contemptuous, condescending tone like victorious bad guys do in the movies, but he came close. What's that? In response, Crystal squeezed her left hand and something squirted out. It was red and it flew through the air toward Gunterman's face. It took me a second to realize that it had happened and the thing, whatever it was, was actually real. It took Gunterman a heartbeat longer than me. I started moving left as his eyes widened in surprise. Crystal darted to the right. A shot rang out, loud, and I threw myself to the ground. Then Gunterman let out a strangled cry. I looked up and saw that the red stuff, whatever it was, had splattered on his forehead and had coated his face from the bridge of his nose to the top of his head like wax dripping from a candle. His eyes were completely covered, he couldn't see, and for a moment he didn't do anything except move his left hand from the handguard of his rifle to clutch the stuff that had suddenly blinded him. Moving with instinct, I drew my tinsel gun from its holster, aimed, and fired. From the right, I heard the sound of Crystal's gun going off as well. A second later, Gunterman was wrapped head-to-toe in silvery-white cords that could only come off with the solvents I carried in one of my belt pouches. His rifle clattered to the ground. His wrapped-up body followed suit a moment later, and I stood slowly. Looking to the right, I saw Crystal also rising, and was relieved to see she had not been struck by Gunterman's shot. I turned to look behind us and saw that the bullet had struck the rightmost jug, the one that still had fluid in it. That fluid was now dripping out of the hole that the bullet had made, and then down onto the floor. 
It was so green it was almost black and viscous like molasses. A little trail of steam or smoke rose from the surface it was flowing down as it moved. I got the impression the stuff was eating away at it. I swallowed. Hard. Then I looked back at Crystal. What was that you shot him with? She grinned at me. Spiked eggnog. I blinked. What the hell was it spiked with? And what did you shoot it from? Your hand was empty. Crystal's grin expanded beyond what I'd ever seen from her before. A girl's got to keep some secrets, Cofield. Crystal and I had typed up reports in my office a time or two in the past, but this time felt different because I didn't really know the whole story. Oh, we'd figured out where the goop and the jugs was. Colleen down at my evidence lab had run some analysis and determined it was basically peppermint spice, except that it had been spiked with compounds that would build up in a person's system and destroy good cheer. Apparently the plan had been to spike candy apples, supplies, and restaurants in town all over the metro area, and if it worked out well this year, expand the operation statewide next year, then further out from there. If we hadn't caught it and nipped it in the bud now, in a couple of years' time it might have been impossible to put the genie back in the bottle. No, what I still didn't get was how Crystal had shot him with that eggnog, and it irked me. She sat in one of the two simple wooden chairs in front of the massive old desk that dominated most of my office, and was finishing up reading the last page of the report. I watched her and found I was frowning. She noticed it when she looked up from the page. She opened her mouth to speak, then stopped, cocking her head to the side slightly. What? You gonna tell me how you did that eggnog bit? Crystal blinked, then burst out laughing. Really? You haven't figured it out? I shook my head. Kelfield, you're a guy. Do you have any idea how much stronger you are than a woman, even one as strong as me? Yes. Yes, I do. She shook her head. I don't think you do. Not in your gut. Well, I know it. Every woman does. If I get into grappling range with a guy your size, I'm probably done. So I've made some modifications to my combat suit. One of those things is an eggnog bladder in my sleeve and a squeeze shooter in my gloves. The agency let you do that? She shrugged. What they don't know won't hurt them. Couldn't argue with that, but... How much time do you practice with that thing? That was one hell of a shot. She hesitated for a second, then let out a little shrug. To be honest, I've never really used it before. It was one of those cool ideas that you almost forget about, know what I mean? You're kidding. Nope. But if he was about to shoot us, I figured what could it hurt to try? Her expression turned deadly grave. We got real lucky. I just nodded silently. After a few seconds, Crystal put the final page down on the stack of report pages, in triplicate of course, that sat on the edge of my desk closest to her. Then she picked up all the pages and stood. Well, I'd better get back on the road for home. I'll take care of filing this if that's okay with you. I waved a dismissive hand. It's your case. Just as happy not to deal with it. She flashed a grin at me. Thanks for the help, Cofield. Say hi to Nora for me. Then she turned and left the office. The door closed behind her with a solid, final thump, and I leaned back in my chair. She wasn't kidding. We really had been lucky. Very lucky. I looked at the counterweight-powered clock on the wall across the room from the door. It was 4.30. Nora would be getting off work in an hour. We hadn't planned to meet up until the day after tomorrow, but right then I felt strongly the need to see her. So I picked up the phone. She answered on the second ring. An hour and a half later, I knocked on her door, and she let me in. Okay, so, what do you think? Another fun adventure? 
and Dustin coming through, getting the getting the bad guy. And of course, Crystal helping out quite a bit, and yeah, all's well that ends well. Uh, this guy Gunterman was kind of fun to 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 write about that little over the top bad guy guy, but you know. Uh, as I, as usual with these Dustin stories, I like it. It's fun. Uh, there's a bunch more uh, stories from him coming out through the rest of this uh, 52 stories challenge from last year. And we'll be going through them here on the channel, as well as uh, continuing to write more stories about him going forward, because he's a fun character. Now, next week, and it will be next week, this time, uh, we're moving on to story number four from the volume one of last year. It's called Nose for Tacos. It's sort of a little meet-cute, semi-romance kind of thing set here in San Diego. So that'll be fun. You can come back for that. In the meantime, uh, we're going to sign off here because this story was a little bit longer than normal. And I will give you the usual plugs that I usually give. If you like this story or any of my other stories, you should do a couple things. First off, you should obviously subscribe to this channel. Whether it's podcast, YouTube, Rumble, wherever you're listening to this, subscribe there. Tell all your buddies. That'll help. Next, even more important, go buy some books. MichaelKingswood.com slash store is the best place to find all my books. You can get them in whatever format you want, assuming the format you're looking for exists. Not everything's an audiobook yet, as an example. Part of the reason to doing these podcasts is so that you can more easily get stuff into audiobook format, which is cool. Um, <clears throat> and the good thing about the my, the best store is it's the best store because it cuts out the middleman. You don't have to give money to Amazon or Barnes Noble or Kobo or any of those places. It comes straight to me. I keep more profit. You get a direct relationship with the author that you like, and it's wonderful. That said, if you like going through all those various retailers, you can... Go to michaelkingswood.com slash books to the number two read. That'll get you to a universal book link aggregator, which you can pick the title, click on it, and it'll show you where it stores it's available on. And you can go to that and go there directly, and it's that's fine, too. I've got some affiliate links going through there, too. So, I can yeah, a little bit of affiliate um, extra bucks, depending on the store. So, that's helpful. Either way, buy some books. Tell your friends about it. And the other thing you could do, something I'm experimenting with this year, just got it going, is uh, I know some people don't necessarily want to buy any books. Some people just like, you know, listening to stories. and But they want to leave a tip. So you can, yeah, I've left some uh, tip links down in the description here. But the other thing you could do is go over to Subscribestar, the thing I just set up, and, uh, you know, throw a couple bucks a month, uh my way to keep the lights on around here and depending on the, what you select it'll uh, get you some more shorter works uh, and or all <laughs> the things I put out the um, a couple different reasons for doing the experimenting with this one obviously you get some cash flow two uh, I really really <laughs> do better with deadlines and if I owe somebody some work like one of the tiers is a short story every week well, then I'm going to get to get on because I owe somebody it. If I don't owe somebody it, sometimes I bet the, it's harder to, it's more easy to slack off without deadlines that matter. So this is one way of uh, creating that. 
Regardless, however you choose to support, whether or do you not you do, I appreciate you being here. Come back next week, and we will continue with that next story. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on all my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nets me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.